Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron Sportsbook Podcast. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. And a pleasant good evening, everybody. It is Friday, May 6, 2022. It is the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Podcast presented by Chef G's Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting, you may need a support group. So tonight, for the next hour or so, Alan and I will be your support group here on the program. Um, a lot to get to here tonight, but before we go any further, i got to bring my partner, Alan, on to the line. Alan, good evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Really glad to be here. Another great show we're going to have, and it's always a great feeling when we have the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. Absolutely. We keep everybody entertained uh, on Friday nights for sure. Um, if you have nothing else going on, you know, definitely give us a listen. And we understand, too, that a lot of times uh, you may not be able to listen live. So if you're hearing us uh, you know, recorded through uh, iHeartRadio, we certainly understand. But to those of you who are listening in tonight live, uh, 931 here on this Friday evening, uh, our number to call in is 516-418-5572. Again, that's 516-418-5572. we got a lot of stuff to get to here tonight. Uh, we just concluded the NFL draft this past weekend. Um, obviously, Major League Baseball is about a month or so into the season. NHL playoffs are uh, underway. A lot of stuff to get to, uh, player news. Uh, we've got some uh, racing news coming up here. Talk a little bit about Baker Mayfield and some of the other NFL uh, stories that are making headlines. Uh, where do you want to begin here tonight? Because we've got a lot to get to. You know what? We'll start with the Major League Baseball season. We'll start there. And, and one of the things that I definitely was a big topic this week, and I noticed quite a happening quite often, is the arguments we'll start with you know, the more specific ones a little bit later. But first and foremost, my question to you, Aaron, is do you think the surge of arguments between the coaches and players and umpires, is that a good thing for baseball? Well, um, I'll let everyone else judge whether that's a good thing for baseball or not. I, I, I think it's part of the tradition. Um, you go back in baseball for well over 100 years, and, you know, the the old school uh, – bill of the cap from the manager to the bill of the cap of the umpire in your face, your swap and spit arguments. You don't see a lot of those any longer just because a lot of things have changed. Technology has changed the game of baseball. You don't have the, the close calls at a base or, you know, whether the ball is fair or foul where you're having an umpire uh, questioned by a manager or a player as much anymore. Strike zone is still that, that kind of thing. And you may have some other arguments that ensue, but, I would say that Bobby Cox, who was ejected from 163 games in his career, I would say his record of uh, the most ejections by a manager is pretty safe at this point. Um, but oh, I don't yeah. think you're ever going to see. I don't think you're ever going to see ejections and arguments go away. It just it's not going to happen. It's part of the game. And I'll be honest with you, I've been um, you know uh, you know to a few games over the years uh, where I've seen a coach or a player um, get tossed. Um, I've also been in the stands for a few games, not pro- professional games, but games where had I been the, the coach of the team, I probably would have gotten tossed myself just for yelling things out of, out of the stands. So 
Um, I think it's just, you know, it, it's, it's part of the game. Um, you're never going to be able to, you know, here's the thing. You think about how baseball, a player, manager, coach, whoever, they get the heave-ho. They go take a shower. They're gone for the game. You don't typically see that in, like, football. I mean, unless it's a really egregious foul uh, or a penalty they got. You do see it in the NBA. You do see it in the NHL, too, though. So I guess there's some similarities there. But baseball seems to be that one sport that it's it's almost a fun thing to watch. You almost look out for it. In fact, over the years when I was growing up, I always loved to watch arguments. And I know you talked to Lou Pinnell here a month or so back. He was one of the best at it. So um, I firmly think it's – I would say it's a – I don't think it's any – best way I can put it, I don't think it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's indifferent in the sense of whether it's a pro or a con. But I think it's an inevitable part of the game that probably will never change, like I mentioned before. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going to be something that will probably ever change. I just think, you know, when the emotions get the best of people, that's what happens. But I personally – I can only tell you my opinion. I'm on the fence on it. I, some of it, I think it's it's overkill. I don't think you need to get into, especially with today, the way things are now with diseases and things of that nature. You don't have to get in someone's face that close to make a point or to even yell in their face. I think it's it's very disrespectful, if you ask me. And I, I think sometimes it's, it's overkill. You You see all these arguments, but you don't see anybody actually winning them, meaning, okay, you made your point. And that's it. One of the players that I, I didn't have a problem with is um, his name slipped my mind, but it was the it was you know he basically told Angel that hey you missed the ball high, you missed the ball low, you know you're kind of erratic, you know he got he was upset. Kind of Kyle Corber. Corber, that's what. Corber, yeah, with the Phillies, yep. yep. For the Phillies, that's right. And he walked up the field, and I I didn't have a problem with that. He basically said his case. He was upset. You could tell he was upset. He walked off. He didn't get right in, into the umpire's nose. He didn't get right into his face. But he made his point, and I, I, I respected it. Like, okay, he didn't, he didn't like the call. He, he explained why, and he made it quick and got off the field. And then you see other incidents like, um, you know, I guess we're going to talk about this in a few moments, so I guess I'll, we'll bring it up now. Like the Madison Bumgarner incident, I felt as if, number one, I did feel as if the umpire did antagonize Madison Bumgarner. If you're checking somebody's hand, you're supposed to be looking at their hand, not looking yeah. at their face and not looking at how they're reacting to what you're doing. If you did see something that was foreign and you didn't like it, you should have just got somebody else to show, to verify someone else, another umpire. You're not supposed to be looking at the guy's face. I felt as if it was antagonistic. Now, today, earlier today, Buster only did say that he did put out a public apology. He did feel as if, you know, after reviewing it, he may have incited some of it. So at least he did own it. But I, I do feel in that, that case that he antagonized the situation and made it worse. But outside of that, I just I just feel as if, um, like with Aaron Boone, he got to a guy's face the other day and the umpire was right into his nose. And I... I respect Aaron Boone, but I felt as if it was over the top. That was my opinion about it. Yeah, I think some of these guys are passionate about the game. And I know when you had the, the Lou Piniella interview here a little while back, yeah. that was kind of what he had, had talked about. I think that's really where this all comes from. Um, 
my take on both of those situations, I'll talk about the Angel Hernandez situation first. Uh, he's a terrible umpire, and, and that's not just me saying that because I'm agreeing with the, the, the majority of people. He just He's not a very good umpire, at least behind the plate. Now, he may be a, a decent umpire in the field when he's umping you know, third, second, or first, but it's almost inevitable every single game that he is behind the plate calling balls and strikes, there's going to be an issue. He's not a very consistent umpire. And this is a guy who, and, and take this wherever you want to take it, uh, listeners uh, especially here, a few years ago, this is a guy who tried to sue Major League Baseball because he, he's a minority, and he tried to sue saying he wasn't getting postseason and World Series games because he's a minority. And his, his record for being a bad umpire isn't something new. This goes back into the 1990s. I mean, he's been, he's been an umpire for over 25 years. So typically they're not going to pick an umpire who has a lot of issues like this to, man, uh, to umpire in the most important games of the season. So that's what, it's, that, that's what it came down to. And I don't know whatever happened with his, you know, with his lawsuit. But I, I would say, um, you know, I can understand, you know, where, uh, where Kyle Schwarber came from. And then the other situation, I, I definitely think that the umpire uh, in the Madison Bumgarner situation, I think he provoked the situation. Madison Bumgarner is not a new guy to the league. He's been in the league for over a decade now. He's a very intense player. You knew as an umpire, probably having seen him in past many times, all you had to do is make one wrong little move, and he was going to say something, and you immediately toss him out of the game. So I feel like that was instigated completely by – Empire and to me, the umpire probably deserves, um, you know, some punishment from the league. So um, to get a little bit more uh, insight on this, we've got our good buddy Lou here this evening. Lou, I want to bring you on. What do you think of, of both of these situations? Well, you know how I feel about most umpires. They're blind as bats anyway. So naturally, they're going to make a long call. <laughs> so what a, what a shock that is. Very blunt. Right, very right. blunt. Right. <laughs> mm. Hernandez, he's the, he's the worst of them all. He's the worst umpire of all. I agree. I, I, I definitely – and I'd love to have him on the show. I'd love, love to have him on the program to ask him some questions because the one, oh, thing that, the one thing that I've always – especially with umpires, the one thing that's always interesting yeah. to me is how are these guys – you see how they are on the field. How are they yeah. in their in their private life when they're – away from the field apparently he's a fairly nice guy so I'll, I'll give him an opportunity there but it'd be nice to have him mm-hmm. on to give him a chance to you know tell his side of the story yeah all right i don't know if i believe that but you know because you know something like you know something like, like Penella, i mean he's a nasty you know what on and off the field <laughs> and you know what and we did have lou Pinella on the on the show and and he did say that, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, that if he could peel some of that back, he probably would have, you know, maybe he got a little too too caught into it. You know, I even brought the incident where he went off when he was with Seattle and Ken Griffey Jr. was just sitting there just laughing and laughing like <laughs> entertainment laughing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm okay with it. I don't think you're gonna probably get eliminated, but I do think number one, umpires should not be antagonizing the players. It's already no, a tense situation. You should not be adding fuel to the fire. 
and baiting guys into getting ejected. And that has been going on for a long time. This is not something that's, you know, a newer thing. This has been going on for probably longer than all of us have been around. So, oh, and, gosh, the dinosaurs are still in existence. <laughs> well, it really, it, it really comes from, you know, umpires. You know, obviously, there's, I don't know how many there are, over 100 in the, in the league. So, yeah. just like there's a scouting report for players to players, you know, opposing players versus each other, Umpires know the tendencies of players, and Madison Bumgarner has always yeah. been—he's always been a little, a little brash. He's not afraid to—he's not afraid to go toe to toe with somebody. So that umpire uh, at first base uh, the other night, he was the one who checked his hand. You saw that video. He never even made eye contact with him. He uh, looked at the hand rather. He, he was looking at his face the entire time. And yeah, to me that 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 that's worthy, in my opinion, of an investigation and possibly a suspension. Um, but w- whether that will happen or not, I don't know. Yeah, and I think a situation like that where you're going to actually check a guy's hand, I think they need to have a protocol. I think maybe two umpires, maybe even three, need to walk over to the alleged player and just check yeah. his hand. And this way you have witnesses, number one, and number two, if the player does get irate as much as Madison does, at least you have somebody who can intervene for safety reasons. Yeah. So I, I think two to three people should go ahead and check their hand, w- look at it, and you shouldn't be That's looking at the player's reaction. You should be looking at his hand. Yeah, and I think this whole situation, too, this, this is kind of a, a fork in the road part of the conversation here. This whole thing with the, the checking of the hands, we've talked about this several times on the program. I think it, <clears throat> pardon me, is going to go a different direction here at some yeah. point. Um, I saw an interview uh, maybe a week or so ago, it might have been earlier this week, with uh, with Buck Showalter, who's now the Mets manager. And he, at one point, between being with the Orioles and being with the Mets, was on petition committee. And he made some really good points on you know, the universal DH. Another one he made a good point on is, Players, pitchers in particular, should be able to have some sort of a sticky substance on their hand. We let we let hitters do it with uh, pine tar, and we let we let them use other things. We, and we let the pitcher, of course, use the rod mm, bag. Check out pine tar again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The big thing that the big thing that's happened this year, and this is the point he was making, is you've had the Mets, especially. They've been hit like 20 times already in the first month of the season, and Buck Showalter made the point of. I don't think any of those, maybe one of them were intentional. It's guys that are just overthrowing or they're not getting the spin they normally would get. So, you know, if we're going to let hitters have a substance on their bat that allows them to grip it better, to me, pitchers should have it too. And I, what I think should happen, honestly, is there should be an approved list of things they can use. That would cut some of this yeah. down because that's that's going to lead to more arguments right there just by itself. So. Okay. Yeah, that's a great point. I like that. I like that chain of thought. Just have a, a list of what is approved, what is banned, like oil, something like that may not be approved, what is okay, and let the players have a little bit more freedom because, yeah, I agree. You know, you're letting the batters use that sticky stuff. And when I say tar, you're talking about like tar, like almost cement sticky stuff. Yeah. And and it's yeah. just as dangerous as somebody throwing a fastball 90-plus miles an hour that doesn't have control as you – with a bat swinging at 100 miles an hour. I mean, you don't want a bat flying in the stands, but you also don't want a player getting beamed. 
Well, and if you ask a lot of the, the hitters, and Bryce Harper was a big uh, proponent of this last year, he and many others, they, they had no problem with pitchers using some of the substances they were using because the minimum is they had control over where they were throwing the baseball. It seems like right now they're, there's a lot less control than there was before all this change. So I have a sneaky feeling that the league and the union are going to, in the next coming months, probably maybe even in season because they changed things in season this past year. Uh, maybe even in season, they're going to come to some sort of an agreement of we're going to approve a certain list of things that you can use. But you got to remember how this has evolved too. It used to be yeah. when you were on the mound, you couldn't, you couldn't put your, your pitching hand up to your mouth, you know, whether it was because of, um, you know, it being a, a cooler temperature outside and you certainly couldn't throw a spitball. That was that was made illegal back in the probably the seventies. Now you got guys licking their fingers left and right. And you know the big thing is these new rosin bags apparently have a lot more salt in them. Apparently, salt gives a better grip, which makes sense because that's what they do up yeah. north when you know they're salting the roads uh, in the winter time. So you know maybe that will help. But I, I to me, it's surprising that we're in 2022 and the science of all this stuff hasn't really evolved as quickly as maybe it should have to me they should have experimented with this in the minor leagues first and then you know brought it up to the big league level yeah i agree and i wanted to ask both of you guys a question too yes you know i it um you both mentioned that you're not fans of the game with uh angel hernandez and you don't think he's that great of an umpire specifically for no. each one of you what is it that you don't like about angel hernandez you can go first, Lou. <laughs> well, well, I think I give you my reason. I mean, he makes all the wrong calls, and you know, and you know, he has built up a reputation for being one of probably the most hated umpire there is in baseball. So to you know, put it that way, he is, you know, he really, he really doesn't know the game. He really has to get his calls correct. I mean, I've heard a lot of people complain about him, and you know, they have a legitimate argument. Okay, sounds good. And what well, about I, you, Aaron? I think. Uh, to add a little bit more to it, he's not very consistent. Um, he'll be an umpire who nope. will call a low pitch a strike early in the game, and then later in the game that same pitch isn't a strike, um, and or vice versa. I'll give you an example of a game that happened probably six, seven, eight years ago. Buck Showalter uh, was actually a part of this. He was still managing the Orioles, and it may have been in his earlier days. There was a game played up in Toronto where I want to say it was R.A. Dickey, who was a knuckleball pitcher, was pitching – for Toronto, and Chris Davis was the hitter for the Orioles, and he swung and missed and completely missed the pitch. You know, knuckleball is going to dance all over the place. Well, the catcher didn't catch the ball, and on a third strike, of course, if the catcher doesn't catch the ball, there's no runner at first or there's two outs. you got to throw the ball down to first to, to record the out. So Chris Davis started running, and – uh, Angel Hernandez called it a he called it a foul ball. So clearly, yeah. if you look at the replays, he did not make contact with the ball at all. It wasn't even close. So you had uh, John Fair, uh, who, who was the manager of the uh, Blue Jays at the time. Um, I'll think of his name here in a minute. He was the previous guy who they had uh, to who they have now. Anyways, he came out and argued, hey. Why, why is this not a, a you know why why would Chris Davis run down to first base if he did make contact with the ball? So he he got the call wrong 
Yeah, he got the call right first. He then changed it, yeah. and then Buck Schulter just went off. So he, he's just never been consistent. He's a very wishy-washy umpire. Um, there are a lot of examples over the years. He's a really terrible strike zone. And typically, you know, and especially in the replay era, I think he's one of the highest uh, umpires, you know, when he's in the field for getting calls, not only replay, but also overturned based on what he called before. There's a statistic out there on that somewhere. So, um and he, he just he, he's not very good at what he does, unfortunately. He's probably a nice probably a nice guy, but he, you know, if he if he calls a, a pitch on the inside corner early in the game, you can rest assured he's not going to call that same pitch a strike, you know, in the seventh yeah. or eighth inning. Yeah, so that's some good points. I, I definitely will will reach out to Angel Hernandez, do my due diligence, and try to get him on a show. I will give him an opportunity to hear his side of the story, and I will ask him those questions like. I'm sure he hears it that he's not well liked in the league, and the biggest thing that you get from that is inconsistent. You know, one of the things that used to really irritate me, and you're a Braves fan, so you, you probably know when this was Glavin. When Glavin was pitching, I swear they used to give him about eight inches off the outside part of the plate. You throw a ball the outside part of the plate. Eight inches off the plate because the guy lined up there, the catcher lined up off the plate, and he threw it right to the glove. They, he would always get that strike called. And I, that, as a as a player, I, as a guy who's a competitor, I couldn't stand that. They gave him literally eight inches off the plate because the catcher would line up there, and that's not the plate. Yeah, there were a lot of advantages back then. Now I think the strike zones have tightened in the last twenty years or so, but. You're absolutely right. You go back to, to the 90s, especially, and one of the biggest strike zones, you know, the, the plate is 17 inches across um, on, on the front, uh, which is, you know, the main area that they're going to call uh, balls and strikes from. Eric Gregg, the late Eric Gregg, uh, rest in peace, he had one of the biggest strike zones ever. I mean, it, it was a 35-inch strike zone. In fact, you go back and – I'll, I'll challenge anybody to go on uh, YouTube and look at the 1997 National League yeah. Championship Series, Atlanta against the Marlins, who ended up winning that series and, of course, ultimately winning the World Series. There were pitches, and I'm not even exaggerating this, that were in the other batter's box that were called strikes. So Eric Gregg had one of the biggest strike zones. He was a, a pretty good umpire in his own right, but there were some calls that – now, granted, he made those calls for both teams. Now, that's the biggest difference in this case – for Angel Hernandez, you want to expand the strike zone and call pitches that are off the plate a strike. Yeah. Most teams, most teams and most managers and even most players are going to be okay with it if you're doing it consistently. But if you're, you know, pulling, uh, if you're drawing, you know, names out of a hat each time you make a call, and they're back and forth between the two, and you're giving one team an advantage over the other. That's where the argument comes in. So it's not necessarily the call being wrong or bad. It's the consistency of it. If it's consistently, you know, a, a bigger strike zone or a smaller strike zone for both teams, both teams are going to learn to, to deal with it. But when it becomes one, one's getting an upper hand over the other, that's the problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. What are your thoughts on that, Lou? Well, like I said, you know, I think he put up in it because, you know, he isn't consistent. And you have that consistency, you know, when you make a call, where it's balls, strikes, foul balls, and whatnot. I mean, because if it's not, then that's not going to give you the game, you know, 
hardly been a, you call yourself a professional. If you make mistakes like that, uh, no, you're not a professional at all. So he has to be more aware of the calls he makes. No more people don't like him because he's, you know, he's wrong at the time too. Now I know you can't argue balls or strikes, but you know Hernandez, you know, hasn't done a very good job of how he's handling it and his calls. Wow, I mean, I've seen umpires true. before who've been, have been, you know, who've been lousy calls, but Hernandez has to be on the top of the list for the for the worst umpire ever. Wow, that's a strong takes there on the Allen and Aaron Sports Greatest Show. Worst umpire ever, they say, is Angel Hernandez. Yes, Captain Schmuck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Well, Angel Hernandez is listening. Hey, they said it, not me. I'm gonna, I'm a fair <laughs> guy. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say your piece, whether you agree, disagree. You'll have fair reign to say your piece. Innocent yeah. to proven guilty. Exactly. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, Lou, so definitely I'm excited to hear what you got going on for tomorrow. Okay, well, you know we got, of course, the playoffs to talk about, both NHL and NBA. Uh, we got some NFL news to take care of, even uh, more news of that other league, if you, what do you want to call it, okay? Um, we'll, check the, we'll check the standings. We have calendars of events uh, for the month of May. Of course, we also got the Derby uh, tomorrow as well. And... It's also ladies' night as well uh, for the wow. show. Yeah, so uh, all ladies are all going to come in. Guys, if you're going to come in, you must dress in drag as like a cleaner did. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, they're going to give me that section eight one of these days. Okay. No, all are welcome to call in tomorrow. But, you know, being that Mother's Day is Sunday, I thought, hey, why not? Let me do a ladies' night. My fifth annual edition. How about that? Huh. Wow. So, and the number is still the same at the time, 5 to 7 p.m. East Coast time. Keep that in mind. The number is 512-543-4662. 512-543-4662. And remember, guys, it's a national number. It's toll-free. you got nothing to lose. Let's say you self-respect, dignity, nerve, pride, guts, you know, none <laughs> of the important stuff, though. All right. Good stuff, Lou. So, anything else to add yeah. here this evening? <laughs> Well, let's, let's see. Um, I don't know if there's any Met fans out there, but oh boy, this game last night was one for the ages. Down by seven, by seven runs, going to the top of the ninth, and you would not believe the end result. They had the biggest comeback in 25 years. I'm like, what happened here? Yeah, you had the game. The serious... had the game in the bag, and they and they and they took it. This is a serious, uh, serious good-looking team at this point. Uh, you know, they started off last it's year. Yeah, no, this is Buck Walter baseball for sure. I agree. Yeah. I think it, he, he, um, he and his stability, I think, have been the one missing link uh, for this team. I mean, I, I'll be real honest with you. I liked uh, Terry Collins there with the Mets a few years back. I think that yeah. his his uh, veteran leadership and the fact that he'd been a manager for a long time was very helpful. And then I think the Mets just kind of jumped on this, you know, every two years we're going to change managers bandwagon and – now they've found that that's not right though. So yeah, now now they seem to found that find that consistency. Now whether it'll stay or not, because the big thing that hurt them last year was the injuries and they really fell apart quick in July last yeah. year. So we'll see one month into the season doesn't you know, equate to a, a division title. 
Um, right now, they are the best team in the National League for sure, so we'll see how things play out. Oh, I got one more thing. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw Game 1 of the Rangers and Penn's game on Tuesday night, but let me tell you something. That was another example of bad calls made by an official because the official ruled that it was goaltender interference, and looking at the replay, you don't want to say that, bull. Okay, that was not. We lost that game, and we lost the game in the wrong way. I mean, the refs really messed that up. Luckily, we got revenge last night as we beat them 5-2 in Game 2, so at least we're back in the series. But there was no way we should have lost Game One. I don't care what I don't care what the ref said. That was not goalie interference. Wow, not goalie interference. No. You heard it first here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, not goalie interference. That's For those right. of you who saw the Ranger game on Tuesday night, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, well, fully on off you. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, definitely make sure you support Lou on the Enhanced Sports Show tomorrow. That is Eastern Standard Time Zone from 5 to 7 p.m. Remember, guys, it's ladies' night, so get the ladies to call in. That's right, ladies' night. And you know, call, call, your, call your mother, call your mother-in-law, your 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 nieces, your aunts, your sisters, your step-cousins, your whatever the case may be. You're right, and that number to call is 512-543-4662. And it's 512-543-4662. The Enhanced Sports Remember, it's toll-free. Toll-free. Nothing beats free. Doesn't cost you anything. That's right. Perfect. Doesn't cost you a cent. Yeah. So hopefully I'll get some uh, calls from. May is going to be a busy month. I thought April was busy. May is going to be just as busy as it was in April. Believe me, I know it. There you go. I'll explain the calendar event segment tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> Make sure you call in, guys and girls. All right. Right. We appreciate you, Lou. Definitely. Lou, thanks right. for uh, thanks, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Appreciate you, Lou. That's uh, All Lou right, the good legend. Lou. Yeah, Lou the legend, absolutely. <laughs> That's right. We really appreciate Lou. It's always a pleasure having him on our show. Here at the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. Great takes there. And, yeah, so I guess what we'll do now is shift gears. And let me give people a quick update on the NHL game, the Tampa Bay Lightning versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's right now it's three for Toronto Maple Leafs and two for the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's in their third period with seven minutes, 46 seconds left. So, Tampa Bay has to step up. You're running out of time. It was three to one. Now they've got it three to two. So let's go, Tampa Bay. Yeah, they they're very capable of that. Though they had a game about two weeks ago where they were down four to one in the fourth uh, fourth in the third period, and they ended up winning the game six to four. So uh, they're certainly capable of it. But keep in mind that Toronto is a pretty solid team, so not an easy task for sure. Yeah, definitely not not an easy task. So definitely, but they have time; they can grind out and get it done. That's for sure. We'll keep you updated on that, and and we'll shift gears and we'll talk about the NFL. Well, we have a lot to talk about in the NFL. First and foremost, I know something that you're—I don't know if excited about or sad about—but Baker Mayfield is still technically with the Browns. What are your thoughts on that, Aaron? Well, 
the the longer he stays with the Browns, the the more likely it is. It's going to be hard for them to get rid of him at this point. I mean, you had basically you've had almost two months, uh, or really the entire off season to trade him. Now I think it's looking more and more like, I mean, maybe they keep him for security uh, for insurance because there is still this looming potential with Deshaun Watson that he may face some sort of a uh, penalization from the league for the off-field conduct. Um, but I, I, I'm surprised. I mean, I, I'm not sure Baker Mayfield is necessarily a franchise quarterback. Obviously, he's not because the Browns aren't keeping him or they're not wanting to keep him. But we heard, I mean, th- there, there were so many teams that were interested in him and nothing ever materialized. You look at the, the Panthers, who they've been rumored to get every quarterback this offseason, which is surprising. Uh, you had the, the Colts before they ended up getting um, uh, Matt Ryan. The Seahawks seemingly have an opening for a quarterback, and they're not interested in him. And then you have a handful of other clubs out there. I would even think that, that Deshaun Watson's former team, the Texans, might have some interest. I mean, they don't exactly have you know a, a franchise-type quarterback in their uh, midst at this point. So it's a little surprising to me. I think a little bit of what's hurting him is, and we've talked about this many times on the show, Baker Mayfield is you know, got a bit of an ego, and I think that's probably hurt him a little bit. I think a lot of teams are shying away from that um, for that reason. Um, but, you know, some of the spots that were maybe a good fit for him may not really be now because teams draft quarterbacks during the, the draft here last weekend, and uh, that kind of changes the trajectory on things. So I don't know what's going to happen with him. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely think he's in a tough position. And I am surprised that another team did not make a pretty good offer to get him. And I'm kind of surprised, and in a way I'm not surprised. I'm I'm kind of surprised because I figured there was enough openings where somebody would have showed more interest in getting him. I'm not surprised, to your point, Aaron, to some of the things that our teams are shying away from him. Number one is an ego. He does come across a bit uncoachable. And the third thing that he, he really can't control, but he is a, little, a bit on the short side for a quarterback. So he does, he does get knocked down quite a bit. So I am a bit surprised. I think he's a bit confused and in limbo right now where it's kind of the worst thing to be as a player. Like you don't know whether you're going to play, you're going to, not play and I agree with you though I definitely agree with your take too that I think one of the reasons also why they are a little bit hesitant to get rid of Baker is because they don't know what's going to happen with the Deshaun Watson situation they don't know how that's going to materialize so he is their first safety net I don't think they want to kind of keep him as a backup paint him as much as he's getting but I think at this point that might be the route they're going to have to take because they invested so much in Deshaun they're waiting to see whether the smoke clears and he's good. And I think that's what's holding him up. Because... I think the Browns might have bit off more than they can chew in a long, in a, in a, a big sense. So, because, you know, and it surprised me that they gave up as much as they did for Deshaun Watson, um, who Cleveland was the last place I thought he would have gone. I would have thought him going to probably a dozen other places would have made more sense up front. Obviously we'd heard about, Miami for a while for almost a year we heard about Miami my thought on this situation though is if the Browns find out in I don't know July that the league is going to levy some sort of a 
suspension on Deshaun Watson. Let's say they let's just say they suspended him for a year, or maybe they suspended him for two years, like MLB did with Trevor Bauer. So that's the worst case scenario. Something along those lines happens. Now you have a quarterback that you've traded for and you've given up all these picks for, and you've invested all this money in, and I think I think the majority of it's guaranteed, if I'm not mistaken. It's not yeah. going to be playing for you. Now, I believe they would recover because the league will probably not allow him to get paid, so they'd at least recover on the financial side of things. But then you've got a pissed-off quarterback in Baker Mayfield who's going to say, no, I don't want to be here because you already made your bed and I got to sleep in it when you brought in Deshaun Watson. And so now, now you're going to have a, a, a lame-duck quarterback situation at that point. So you, the, the Browns might have, like I said, they might have bit off more than they could chew if that ends up becoming the case, and who knows what will happen. Time will tell. The league probably will levy some sort of a decision here soon, probably around training camp time. But this could really get nasty for the front office. Um, and this is a, an organization that's very close to being right where they want to be, and some of their own decisions might end up coming back to haunt them. No, you're absolutely right. This Deshaun Watson thing could be either a genius move or blow up pretty bad. And especially the amount of money they're paying him. You're right. He got a fully guaranteed contract, which is unheard of at the amount of money they were paying him. That's big time money. I don't see anybody with that type of offer, with that type of controversy looming over them that would have said no to that deal. So I can't blame Deshaun Watson for taking it. Yeah. But they did. It's almost a move of desperation on Cleveland's end. Yeah, I I thought so too. I mean, I, I mean, yes, Deshaun is an upgrade from Baker, but at the same token, you're taking a real gamble by getting him, at least with Baker Mayfield. He's, he did want to compete. He did want to play, and you didn't have those issues. You know, going with Deshaun Watson is a risk. This was a similar issue, not exactly the same thing, um, maybe not even to the same level or degree, but, you know, you go back to 2015 when Tampa had the first overall pick in the draft, and they, they drafted uh, Jameis Winston, and he had those off-the-field problems. And the thing about that situation was if that falls through, if he ends up getting in more trouble or some other things start to come out, you know, it's not just the coach that's going to get fired. It's going to be the, the whole entire front office. And, you know, they, they did make a coaching change. I think Jason Light was the general manager that drafted Jameis Winston, so he's still there. But you see the similarities. It didn't work out with Winston. They they ended up cutting him after the first what, four or five years. Now, they happen to bring this guy named Tom Brady. That worked out pretty well for them. But you don't have a Tom Brady out there who's going to save the Browns if this ends up tanking on them. There's not a there's not another quarterback out there who's going to be like that for them. No, you're right. There isn't. So, you know, the, the Browns are rolling the dice. And I I think it's actually a good thing they haven't gotten rid of Baker because – you don't know what's going to happen at this point. At least the good thing he is a safety net. If things don't, if if Deshaun has a long suspension, you could plug him back in. But at the same token, he's going to be really upset, and I know he is upset at the way things have changed in so quickly in Cleveland. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it has drastically changed pretty quickly and the, the, you know the thing about it too is you know to me the Browns you know they they really allowed Baker Mayfield to dictate a lot of their decision making over the last couple of years because you know he's had a big hand in their coaching changes and you know 
whether they feel like, okay, now we need to stick with who we have and move forward. I, I feel like the acquisition was more of a, to me, it was more of a, a move of desperation. This is a franchise that's never won a Super Bowl. They've never even been to one, and they really haven't been a consistent contender since I'll date ourselves here on this one, Bernie Kosar. I mean, that, that's a long time ago. We're talking about in the, the mid to late 80s. That was the last real successful, you know, consistent team they had. I mean, Marty Schottenheimer was the head coach there, for crying out loud. That was his first job in the NFL. So that, that shows you what they're up against. This is kind of like the Detroit Lions. They haven't had a really good team. They've really had, never had a good team, but they haven't had a team that had consistency of any sort in quite a while, and they felt like they needed to make a big move. I don't know if this is the right one because, again, you guarantee the money. Typically, you don't guarantee that money to a guy who has a clean record off the field. You do that with a guy who has some issues. So, to me, again, jury's out, and you know we'll see what happens over the next couple months. But um, this could either be a really great move and it pays off, or it could be a really bad move, and you know some people are paying for it with their jobs and a franchise you know fizzles out and goes under again, kind of thing. Um, I don't think it's going to be anywhere in between. I think it's going to be one extreme or the other. No, I agree. I think it's either going to be a great thing, a fantastic thing, or really, really bad. I don't see it going in the middle. There's just too much of a risk. And I just think with all the people involved, if it doesn't work well, it's going to really tank in Cleveland. They were close to getting there, just need a piece or two where they're at. But you could really put yourself on a slippery slope if it doesn't. But time will tell, as you mentioned. And speaking of time, you know, one big news that did happen this week was DeAndre Hopkins basically had a situation where he he failed a a drug test there for the NFL. Allegedly, he he basically took a banned substance, and he is suspended for the first six games. What are your thoughts initially when you heard those news, Aaron? Well, I mean – Inevitably, when this kind of situation happens, whether it's in football, uh, baseball, or what have you, the, the first thing that you typically hear is I, either I didn't know that it was a banned substance or I, I don't know how this, how this got in, into my body. Um, and it, it's always the same cop-out. So those are the first things <laughs> I always look for when I hear something like this occurring. I, I just I don't understand how – I suppose somebody could mistakenly take something and not realize that something is in it that's going to show positive. But at the same time, my other school of thought is, and the one that's probably more uh, the correct one is, don't take something until you know what's in it. You know, because at the end of the day, you know, getting caught is one thing, and then looking stupid when you do it is another. You're either wanting us to believe you're dumb or, you know, you just thought we were, you were going to get away with it, and then we're going to test you. So uh, neither of those things are typically going to happen. Um, does it surprise me? No. I think people try to, you know, there, there's an old saying, if you're not cheating, you're not trying kind of thing. But, um, no, this, this, is, this is one of those situations where he, he got caught, needs to own up to it, and serve his six games. And a year from now, we won't even remember this happened. That's honestly how it goes. So, um, so. In fairness, DeAndre Hopkins, I'm going to read his full statement after they levy the suspension, and then I'm going to get your thoughts on it. In my, this is uh, DeAndre Hopkins posted this on his social media, and I'm going to read it verbatim. And it 
in quotes, in my 10-year NFL career, I have never tested positive for using performance-enhancing drugs. To learn that my November test came back with trace elements of a banned substance, I was confused and shocked. I am very mindful of what I put in my body and have always taken a holistic approach. So I am working with my team to investigate how this could have happened. But even as careful as I've as I have been, clearly I wasn't careful enough. For that, I apologize to Cardinal fans, my teammates, and the entire Cardinals organization. I never want to l- let my team down. I fully intend to get to the bottom of this. As soon as I have more information, I will share it. DeAndre Hopkins. So after hearing his statement, what are your thoughts? BS. <laughs> he's, basically, he's basically passing the buck. He's basically passing the buck, saying he's sorry, and then also saying he's not sorry at the same time. You know, I mean, do I suppose that something could slip into somebody's, you know, whatever they take to, to work out with? Yeah, that that could happen. But to to have it happen the way that he did, you you have to have a certain amount of something that gets into your into your bloodstream for it to show up on a test like this. So it couldn't be something where somebody slipped something in there for one time and it happened. Um, the other thing I'll point out is the very first line in his statement there was, in my 10-year NFL career, I've never tested positive for a banned substance until now. Hello? You just tested positive. You know what? Here's the thing about it. When you lose your integrity for the first time, I don't care if it's after five years, 10 years, or 20 years, you can't – at that point, when you've, when you've crossed that line and you have thrown your integrity out the window – that, that 10 years or 20 years or whatever you had before that has no value anymore. You, you've, you've let it, you let it go. So to me, the best thing to do at this point for him would be, even if he doesn't believe it, own it, take the suspension. Don't make a whole bunch of noise about it because all it's going to do is keep the media around you. That's going to keep things stirred up. And now for six games, you're not a part of this team and you better not be, this is the way I look at it as a teammate. If you're not going to be a part of this team for, for, for six games, don't be louder than the guys who are on the team that are playing. Don't, don't, don't distract them from what they've got to go out there and do. You know, you, you got to let those guys go out there and do their thing. And, you know, the Cardinals are a pretty good team. They had a pretty solid season. They were, they were probably a little bit overhyped at the beginning, and they didn't follow through from what they started out as. They were the last undefeated team at one point. So, um and then they ran into Green Bay and things kind of fell apart. But, you know, to me, if I'm a teammate of, uh, of DeAndre Hopkins, I'd say, hey, man, I support you. You made a mistake. Let's just move forward and work hard, get back here, and we'll play when you get back. And, and leave it at that. That's the last thing I'd want is a guy who's going to not play because he made a mistake, and then he's going to be louder than the rest of the guys that are playing and cause all kinds of distractions. So that's just my take on it. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get – a lot of that from DeAndre, I, he made a statement about after what happened, and and he said, you know, he basically, I'm going to see you in game seven. I don't think you're going to get a lot of that, like him, like A-B type stuff. I don't think you'll get that from DeAndre Hopkins. But I will say I agree with what you said. You know, it's, it's like this. When I worked in sales for many, many years, I've been in sales almost 30 years in total. If after 20 years or 15 or five years, if I did, like you said, to your point, if I did get 
caught cheating to say, well, in my last 10 or 15 or five years, I never got caught cheating before. That doesn't start off well. That doesn't start off well. Like you should, you should just eliminate that in my tenure career. I've never tested positive. That doesn't mean that you didn't do something in the last 10 years and you never tested positive. You understand what I'm saying? So you leave that area of doubt. Yeah. Yeah. You should just say, you know, that I'm, I was, if, if this is something that was really a shock to you, that I'm shocked, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I apologize, which is right, but there's more to it. In fact, um, we're going to go ahead and bring a caller on the line to get their thoughts. Let me do that right now. Welcome to the Allen and Allen Show. How you doing? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How about yourselves? Doing I'm well. Doing, doing well. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so we were just talking about the Sean. We were just talking about DeAndre Hopkins and his suspension. What are your thoughts on DeAndre Hopkins and his suspension with the league? I mean, uh, the NFL is a uh, hilarious game um, because these are the most, like, uh, testosterone-driven men that you're going to find in this country. So they're going to do stupid nonsense on occasion. And, you know, yeah, no, I'm just saying, you know, short of battery or something terrible, you should expect them to be terrible. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I agree. I I just find it really disappointing personally for DeAndre Hopkins to get caught into this. The guy's a very talented player. I know he's had some injuries over this last year. And I know that that may have played a part into this. For him to get caught with this, I really can't give him the benefit of doubt because you got caught during a time that you usually that you were injured a lot, and typically that's what happens. Well, yeah, you, had that, wanna, you had that yeah. guy a few years ago down in uh, Central Florida. Uh, what was it, Chad Johnson or something? He yeah. uh, he got caught up in that scandal where that that female struck him a few times, and then he struck her back one time and you know they were like oh we can't let him on the Bengals or the or the browns or something you know somebody picked him up and i was just like jesus christ these <laughs> i don't know athletes athletes right now uh it's it's a weird situation because um we keep uh putting them on a higher standard you know of, of moral behavior because of the league then we hold normal people accountable for so i don't know it's a weird it's a weird place to be yeah i've always uh, i've always believed that and this is my personal take i think alan feels the same way that character is just as important if not more important than talent um so for me if i'm putting together a team and this could be an nfl team it could be a baseball team if a guy has a questionable character if he's trying to work on it, that's one thing. But if he's a questionable character and he's had recurring issues, and I, I look at somebody like um, Antonio Brown, who was with the Bucks this past year, every place he's been, he has, you know, made the environment to the point where they they let him go. You know, he had that, he had that happen in in Pittsburgh uh, with Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin is a, a solid probably as solid a coach as they come. He's been in the league for 15 years. He, he had the same issues when he went to to the Raiders uh, with John Gruden. John Gruden had been in the league for, what, 15 or 20 years. 
Uh, he got into a big argument with the GM there in, in Oakland slash Las Vegas. Then he goes to Tampa and, you know, has these issues with Tom Brady and with the coaching staff. And so my point behind that is the character, sometimes I, I'd almost rather have guys with higher character and a little bit less talent than more talent and more character flaws than, you know, because honestly, when you have those bad character flaws, kind of like you were pointing out there, that typically can lead to hostility in the, the locker room. And then the on the field stuff really didn't matter at that point because you can't figure out how to get things to work in the locker room. Appreciate that concept, um, especially because these guys are being paid multi-million dollars. You know what I mean? Like, they're all millionaires. So at what point do you completely drop the line that they're, you know, they're, they're crybabies at some point, you know, they're, they're, they're multimillionaires. Um, but bad behavior is bad behavior. And I, I think it's uh, weird that we put so much emphasis uh, because they're in the spotlight all the time. They're in the limelight as athletes. Uh, and it's been terrible on several occasions for them. You know, Michael Vick, you know, how many people have gotten <laughs> caught up in the same nonsense that that guy was caught up in? but he had to be removed for a couple of years for what he did. And obviously he's a terrible person for what he did, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it's just weird to me that we, we put these people on pedestals, you know, and it, I don't know why we keep giving them like uh, avenues to speak outside of what they're doing. Um, just play the game. I don't know. Does that make sense to anybody? Yeah, it does. Yeah. But at the same time, I'll, I'll throw this out there. Um, yeah, I agree. Michael Vick did, did a terrible thing 15 years ago. Um, obviously, what he got caught up in, and really the thing that got him in more trouble than what he had done was the fact that he lied about it from the very beginning, and then the investigation uncovered that he hadn't been truthful with what had happened. That's what really got him in the biggest trouble. I'll give Michael Vick credit, though, because at some point along the way, he owned up to it. He took his penalty. He had to fight to get back into the league, and whether he deserved it or not, everyone's going to be their own judge on that or their own opinion on that everybody's got their own you know mind to think on those things but i give him a lot of credit because he he, he did make a, a comeback he probably didn't deserve it I, I would agree with you to some degree there but at the same time you know we're, we're all human we, we we deserve second chances um and i think he made the most of his second chance uh got a chance to go play and be pretty successful for a couple of years in philadelphia and then he of course at the end went into more of a backup role with the Steelers. So um, he, he's one that I would say, you know, the redemption was, was a good thing on his, on his behalf. Yeah. So, so my question would be if, if a player does have a slip up, you know, does mess up, do you, are you in the favor that they should not get another opportunity or that should be the end of it? I mean, it's all depending on what, what they, you know, like he said, everybody's an individual. Everybody makes their own mistake. Is is to what extent they do something ridiculous? You have ridiculous people out here doing ridiculous stuff all the time. That's just human nature. Um, small stuff. Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff is forgivable, but the big stuff, uh, the stuff that they push on the ESPN and all the stuff, the headlines. You know, this guy did this. You know, he beat up a woman in an elevator. You know, that that kind of stuff, I don't know. I'm not going to say nothing. I'm not going to say uh, there's irredeemable things, but there's definitely a lot of stuff that you should probably just bow out while you can. Mm-hmm. 
instead of uh, trying to, you know, fighting your way back into a league that clearly is not going to accept you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that kind of goes back to the point there of, of you know, character over talent. Um, and, you know, we talked about uh, uh, Antonio Brown. Right after he got caught by the Bucks, uh, what in late late December, that he'll probably get picked up by a team again. And I, I that was Allen saying that. I I kind of disagreed because I think his track record is is there. But I I think that what will happen with him, if he's interested in playing, is if he's interested in playing, somebody out there, one of the 32 teams out there, maybe, maybe the three he played for probably won't be interested. So 29 teams out there are going to say, well, he may be worth the gamble. Um, I wouldn't pick him up just because of his track record. But, again, the, the teams out there are going to say, well, what kind of talent does he have? What can he do for, for our team? And I agree with you um, that, you know, there are some things that do happen that you're just like, man, you probably should just disappear because when you do come back, you know, you're going to be a distraction to the, the team you play for. Your coaches are going to be asking gazillion questions. The teammates are going to be distracted. It's not going to be necessarily at that point about what talent you have. It's going to be about oh, how, how are you going to uh, accept this guy into the locker room? And he did X, Y, and Z. So I, I see where you're coming from there. And I do think there are some things that guys probably shouldn't come back from, um, you know, beating situations and things like that. Yeah, that certainly is uh, definitely crossing the line, in my opinion. Yeah. So definitely. Yeah. And, 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 and Antonio Brown for the, uh, for the Jets. There you go. <laughs> well, they may be and desperate, that, so maybe that will happen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> if there's one person who I feel got a gazillion chances, it's Antonio Brown. And he's going to keep getting them because I still feel as if when time gets tells, he's going to reduce his price and maybe take an incentive laden contract from somebody, and he's going to get signed by somebody. Somebody's going to give him an opportunity. As much as I agree with what you're saying that there's a point where enough is enough. I think, I think AB way got past where a point is enough is enough. He, you know, Mike Vick and, and AB are two different categories and I think AB has gotten so many chances, but I still think he's going to get another one. Yeah. As long as somebody's out there willing and needing a receiver, he'll, he'll definitely be, um, definitely be somebody that teams will be at least listening in on, um, going forward. And again, teams are always looking for receivers. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if by the time we get to training camp, there's three or four teams that are interested in signing him and we'll see what happens. Um, I think his biggest issue is personally just well, his, his ego. Office, well, yeah, oh, yes. His even, ego. Even, even above that is he, he, he is not uh, very coachable. Um, he doesn't like to listen to what, what he's told to do. He wants to do things his own way. And that obviously has gotten in the way in all those places I named. I can see that happening to some degree with a guy with a fairly large ego, maybe with a, a coach that's newer to the league. But I'm, those guys I mentioned, all of them are guys who have maybe not been a head coach the entire time, but have been in the National Football League for over 30 years, each of them. So I, I, got, I got you, Antonio Brown for the Detroit Lions. There you go. <laughs> yep. They, they yeah, he's another receiver. Yeah. And, and the thing about Antonio Brown, of all those things, those are major things about Antonio Brown. I think the biggest thing about Antonio Brown is that he has an insatiable appetite for attention. 
this guy constantly needs attention. No matter what he, what situation he is, he's got to grab the attention. That's his un, no matter what he does. He just has to be a guy who just has to get attention. He can't just play like everybody else, let his talent do his, the talking. He's got to get the attention. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely him to a T right there for sure. So we'll see what happens. I, I, um, I do believe you're right, Alan. I think he will get picked up by somebody. We'll, we'll let time tell its story here. But I, I think before too long, somebody will pick him up. Yeah. But, yeah, we definitely appreciate your takes and, and your input here on the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. We hope to uh, hear from you again. Hey, thank you, gentlemen. Oh, you're very yes, welcome. Sir. Thank you have, for joining us on the Alan Aaron Sports <laughs> Radio Show. Absolutely. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. Thank you. All right. So as we're heading towards the closing of the show here this evening, got a lot of stuff going on, like Lou mentioned before, in the month of May. May is a big month in sports for a number of reasons. The draft just took place here um, a little over a week ago. It ended last Saturday. Uh, Saturday evening, obviously, um, interesting draft, I guess you could say. Um, not a lot of quarterbacks taken in the early part of the draft. In fact, there's only one taken in the first round, uh, like I mentioned last week, which is uh, almost unheard of. Um, we have the NHL playoffs going on, and I want to fast forward to the end of the month of May, if I may, for a moment. Uh, May is a big month in sports uh, for a number of reasons, but in the motorsports world, Memorial Day weekend is always fun because Indianapolis, which is one of the great places in our country for sports history for a number of reasons, the Indianapolis 500 goes on during Memorial Day weekend. And I know you got to go to Daytona this year. Um, Indianapolis is on my bucket list of places to go, the Indy 500. Uh, What are your thoughts on, on that race? It is a cool race. The Indy 500 is is something that, you know, it's part of American culture. It's it's always a cool thing. And, you know, it, it does feel a little different that at Danica doesn't race in it anymore. But it is a cool race. And definitely it's, it's kind of like the Daytona 500 where you never know who's going to show up, who's going to be there. And it always has a, a thrilling event. And it's always something that I look forward to myself. What are your thoughts on it? Well, uh, the tradition for me has always been, I mean, this is a race that's over 100 years old, started in the uh, 19-teens, so we're we're at over 100 years of this race going on, and they call it the greatest spectacle in racing for a reason. Um, you know, 500-mile race, you can have these cars have changed, and the technology has changed them over the years, and they call it the brickyard for a reason. Originally, when this track was built in the early 1900s, the entire track was paved with bricks. And now it is simply just the start-finish line. It has, um, I believe it's still the original layer of bricks that are there. Um, it's a huge event because it's an entire week-long event, kind of like Daytona for the 500. You have all the races that go on leading up to the actual race itself. Everything kind of stops in Indianapolis, and it it, it I don't think it's as popular as it used to be. I think before NASCAR got to the level that it's at now, Indy was actually a bigger thing. I think it's kind of swapped places over the, uh, the last maybe two, three decades. But it's still a huge event. And it's 
the thing I think I point out about it that's a little bit different than the NASCAR series. Now, NASCAR has become more international, but not to the degree that Indianapolis is an Indian in particular, with a lot of drivers from other parts of the world, Europe, the guys who are from Pan and that area of the world. So you've got a lot of different different uh, styles of racing that go on. And the interesting thing about it, you always talk about how you never know who's going to show up. There's some owners in the Indy series that you wouldn't think would be someone interested in racing, like David Letterman, um, former uh, night, uh, night talk show host. Um, he owns a team. I believe it's uh, um, – Team he owns, I want to say he owns it with Bobby Rahal. I may be wrong on that. Uh, Bobby Rahal was a big indie driver back in the 80s and 90s. Um, but you got a lot of different individual groups that are a part of it. And of course, you can't have racing without Roger Penske. He's been a big part of the Indy series for about 40 years now. So, but it, it's a great event. I typically, when I watch it, um, you know, Sunday afternoon, it's you sit down for five hours, you watch all the pre race stuff, you watch the race itself. You watch some of the after coverage and the um, winter circle um, trophy presentation. It's a lot of fun. And every year for the last probably 10 years, I've said I'm going to go up there at some point. At some point I will. Of course, I keep saying that, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> but, um, it, 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 it certainly is a great event. And I think those cars, I, you and I have both seen NASCARs and see how fast they go. These are a little bit quicker, so I, I think it'll be – a lot of fun to one day actually see it in person. Yeah, it would be really cool. And, you know, when they in St. Not, it wasn't the Indy 500, but when they're here in St. Petersburg, Florida, that's where I get a chance to see Danica when they had the smaller version of the race here. It was really cool. And, and you know, it's, it's real dangerous too. I mean, I found it more dangerous than NASCAR because you have less covering you. And as you mentioned, you go really fast in that car. And I just think it's 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 intense. But I do agree with you that I do feel as if the Daytona 500 popularity-wise is starting to take it away from Indy. And just like the Indy 500, Daytona 500 has some interesting owners and getting bigger and better. I mean, you have Pitbull owns a team. You have Michael Jordan. You have Emmett Smith. And as time is going to go on with those guys being part of it, I just see it getting bigger and bigger. I see it going in that direction. And even Charles Woodson, they asked him that question. They actually stole the question. I was going to ask him. And that was, <laughs> I was going to ask him that question, that same question. Like, Hey, you got Pitbull, you have Michael Jordan, you have Emmett Smith who owns a part or owners in Daytona 500. What about yourself? And the, the, when he was on stage, someone had asked him that question, and he basically said he's not opposed to it. He'll have to talk to them to get more information about it, but he's not against it. I'm sure if he did talk to the, any one of those three, they would probably say, you know, go for it. And so it's just going to get bigger and bigger, and that's the cool thing about Daytona 500 and Indy race car is that there's opportunity for growth. Yeah, no, that's definitely um, definitely true there. And I think the difference in the series, too, is some of the indie races are actually done um, outside of the United States, too. So there's a little bit more of an international flavor there. Wouldn't be shocked in the next uh, decade or so if NASCAR went that same route, too, um, to build the, you know, international popularity of what they do. So, um, 
And then uh, I know that you, you uh, put in here tonight that there's some some big boxing events coming up here soon. Looks yeah. like uh, uh, Floyd Mayweather and Anthony Joshua. Uh, give me a little bit on the fights that are coming up here and your take on them. Yeah, I, I did get dragged into an interesting debate that in social media. Basically, I'm going to give you the insight of what happened. Anthony Joshua and Floyd Mayweather were doing a meet and greet. But the interesting thing about this meet and greet, they were doing it together, and this meet and greet was in London. For those who don't know, Anthony Joshua, it was short AJ, he's a heavyweight boxer, and he's extremely popular by UK fans. Mayweather, not so much. I'm talking about UK fans, not USA fans. Is a difference. Well, when they did this meet and greet, Basically, the way it happened was when people came in to take a picture, you had Anthony Joshua there, and you had Floyd Mayweather standing right next to each other. And in this video, you see everybody was going past Mayweather to Anthony Joshua to get a picture with him. And you could see it in Floyd's face that he was getting, number one, he was confused, like, why am I not the superstar? Because he's so used to being a superstar. And B, why does everybody want to go to him and not me? But what Anthony Joshua did, he basically, you know, put Mayweather in the picture. You know, he, he kept making sure that, you know, Mayweather kind of got in the picture and, and he didn't feel left out. Like, you know, I can see you're getting upset. I can see it's not going your way. But to save you from embarrassment, I'm going to put my arm around you to make sure you're included. But you can even see in some of the fans, they were like leaning towards a, you know, AJ where they were like, oh, I hope Floyd doesn't get too close where I could crop him out of the picture real easily. You know what I'm saying? And somebody on social media went and called AJ. I, the only thing I got away from out of that whole situation was that AJ was being a B. And I asked the person, like, okay, how was he being a B? Like, please explain. And he goes, well, he, sh- he should have known better that you know, he basically didn't have a good answer that AJ was being a B. And I was like, first of all, it's not AJ's fault that the fans where you're in London wanted to see AJ more than they wanted to see Floyd. And AJ did the classy thing. He tried to include Floyd in, in every picture, seeing that Floyd was getting upset. And, and there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing, that's how the cookie crumbles. You know, I know Floyd was thinking, okay, here's a way I get some quick money, but he wasn't thinking about the whole package. When you take money from something or some event, you know, there is a risk of an opportunity that you could embarrass yourself. And it wasn't the, it wasn't the Floyd Mayweather scene. It wasn't in the U.S. It was in the U.K. And it makes a big difference. And, you know, that's the thing. Hey, if you're going to do a meet and greet with another boxer, you can't be mad if somebody wants to see the other person more than they want to see you. What are your thoughts on that, Aaron? Well, this goes back to Antonio Brown for a moment. Talk about egos. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, probably, I can't think of anybody in sports with a bigger ego than him. <laughs> um, he, he, he has been a, a menace, I would say, fairly uh, over the years. I mean, I, I remember when Brian Kenny, who's now with MLB Network, he used to cover boxing for ESPN, and he was doing an interview. This was probably 15 years ago. He was doing an interview with uh, with Floyd Mayweather, and – I don't know if you just had a bad day or you woke up on the wrong side of the bed or didn't get enough attention that day or what have you, but he basically 
Brian Kenny was asking him fair questions, and Floyd Mayweather was just giving him all kinds of uh, heat. And eventually, they had to stop the interview because it got to be where there was language flying. So <laughs> um, that's a good video, by the way, if anybody wants to look that up on YouTube. Uh, but no, I, yeah. you got to know you got to know your surroundings. You, you know, you can't go uh, to a place that's foreign to you where there's a popular person with you and that person is from that area and not expect that person to be maybe a little bit more well received than you. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's like going, it's almost, I would, I would equate that to just to maybe make it a little bit more easy to understand. I'd, I'd equate that to, you know, you can't go as an opposing player. Let's say you play for the Marlins. You can't go to, to, to New York where the Yankees play and expect that you're going to be more popular than one of their players. It doesn't work that way. So, um, but I, I think that Floyd Mayweather seems to be one of those kind of guys, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, that wherever he goes, he feels like he has to be the, the star of the show, and that's not always going to be the case. No, you're absolutely right. And that was my point. Like, okay, Floyd, it wasn't his scene. You you showed up. I know you got paid for this, and – Anthony Joshua agreed to this as well as you agreed to it. Cause I know they would never put two superstars like that without both of them agreeing to it. You know, it, it just wouldn't happen to meet and greet with both Floyd and it's Anthony Joshua without either one of them knowing that's not going to happen. So they both knew and it's not And Floyd didn't think, Hey, you got it. One of the things you got to know is know your audience just because like you said, you know, sometimes you get an ego and, and be the man in most cases, you're not going to be the man in all cases. This is a situation where the fans, you could clearly watch that video, folks, and see they were all gravitating to, to AJ, Anthony Joshua. They were all gravitating to him. Even though he's, he's, his record is not as big and as acclaimed as Floyd, but he's from the UK. He's well-loved from the UK. You, as an outsider, can't expect you to come in there and overshadow him just because in the U.S., you may have been able to. If this was in the U.S., you probably was going to overshadow him. But U.K. fans, and to their credit, I will say this on the Alan Aaron Sports Radio Show, when it comes to boxing and U.K. fans, I would have to say they're up there as far as the best. And the reason why I say they're the best is because they support their guys. A lot of situations you have, unfortunately, our people, talking about black people, sometimes do support other black people that happens a lot here in the u.s that does not happen in the uk 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 people support uk people and floyd should have known this yes he got his ego bruised and i know the other guy was probably a floyd mayweather fan who was upset that trying to find some way to throw some shade on aj but i defended aj and i'm not i'm not the hugest and biggest fan of aj but i do know that when AJ fights, even though his record is not perfect like Floyd's, he's going to sell 60, 70, 90,000 people are going to show up if it's in the UK because they love him. And I was not surprised at all that he was taking the shine away from Floyd. And Floyd felt like he felt like he was the guy on a, on a, you, you and your wife are on a date and he's the third leg and he felt so out of place. But <laughs> AJ did his best to kind of include him and put his arm around him and make sure he got the pictures. So to Floyd, sometimes when you take money, you got to understand what you're getting into. Yeah, no, that's a good point there for sure. Good point for sure. So I did want to let you know that debate 
a couple things about the fights that are coming up. I did want to talk about the huge fight that happened last weekend, which is a big fight between Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano that happened in Madison Square Garden. It was a mega fight. It was a big-time fight. I will give you my thoughts on that. It was the only prediction out of three that I gave last weekend that I actually got wrong. The other three, the other, I gave three predictions. I was spot on on two of them. This was the only one I got wrong. And these are my thoughts. I feel, and even to this day, that Amanda did win the fight, but she was fighting somebody that was a champion. And when you are a champion, unfortunately, I want all boxers to notice and boxing fans, when you're fighting someone who is a champion, you have to make it convincing that you won the fight. I felt as if Amanda did win the fight, but it wasn't convincing. She was actually doing really well in a fight. She had Katie Taylor hurt around the sixth or seventh round. And then for some reason, when she came out the next round, she kind of took her foot off the gas and she got Katie Taylor to get back in a fight. And then maybe the last round was probably the closest, but Katie Taylor won like two or three rounds and she made it close enough, I think, to keep the belts. I still feel as if Amanda did win this fight. I will go and say that. But I do think Amanda did give Katie an opportunity to win the fight. If you have a competitor down and you're throwing out a lot of value, you got to keep that up. If that's working, you got to keep it up. You cannot change what's working in boxing. If you're hurting your opponent and it's clear that you're winning, you can't come in and say, get gun shy after seven, eight rounds and expect to win. So I do think it was a tough break for Amanda. She's a hell of a fighter. I would love for them to fight again. I don't, I don't believe it's going to be made again simply because Katie Taylor knows now that Amanda could very well beat her. And I just think that they're going to try to avoid the fight unless they just throw so much money at her, she can't say no. But to that reason, leading into the fight that's happening this weekend, Canelo versus Baval, I think Baval is going to give Canelo a very, very good fight. I do think it's going to be a really close fight. If anything, I think Baval is going to probably win the fight, but I think because of Canelo's background, his esteem, I don't think it's going to be a slam dunk or such a convincing win unless he just flat out knocks him out where Canelo is, is going to lose the belt. I feel Baval's going to win the fight on a pretty much the same way that Amanda won the fight, but it's not going to be convincing enough to lose the belts. When you're playing the champ, when you're beating the champ, you have to make it so it's a slam dunk, basically. And I know that's not fair. You're fighting somebody who's very, very good. You're fighting somebody who's excellent. But I think that's what's going to happen in a Canelo fight. It's going to be a close fight. Baval's going to probably get the nod by most people won, but I feel as if Canelo's going to leave with his belts. Great prediction there. Yeah, we'll see what happens. That should be a good one here on Mother's Day weekend. So, want to uh, also I want to give a, a quick shout out here tonight um, to uh, our friends there at uh, Dugout Mugs. I got my first one here in the mail today, and I sent you some pictures. Of course, if you want to post those up on our Facebook page, great thing um, has our show logo on it. Um, also, have to give them props for not including any of the grays in my beard or my hair in the uh, in the photo. So, <laughs> um, my daughter pointed that out to me when she saw it. So, uh, but it's great. I know you got one here a few weeks back, um, and uh, I got my first one here. Looking forward to using it uh, for many years to come, and 
very neat, uh, very neat thing to have um, a, a cup or a mug that's made out of uh, the barrel end of a baseball bat that's hollowed out. So um, very great job, guys. Uh, you do a great job. I know they're actually, as we talk, uh, talked about this before the show, they're actually right in our own backyard over in uh, Winter Haven, Florida. So they do a great job. Uh, they get the product out to us very quickly and uh, very, very professional. Uh, great, uh, great job they did. And, of course, um, our sponsor as well, um, Jeff G's Barbecue Sauce, which, once again, is uh, so delicious and addicting you may need a support group. So, Alan, do you got anything else to add here tonight? Yeah, just to, to reiterate your point, I really want to thank Dugout Mugs for their, their beautiful mug. I was you know, blessed to have actually two of them. I have the, the Major League Baseball license official one, and then when I went to the baseball, bourbon, and cigar one, they had a mini one. So I have both of them, but, you know, dugout mugs, man, I, I definitely would love to go ahead and, since you're in Winter Haven, do an interview possibly on site if we can do that. Keep up the great work with dugout mugs. I really love, just like Aaron, the love mugs. And <laughs> your daughter made a great observation, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got to give you credit in, in the, the artist who did our logo a couple years back. Um they, they they kept the hair you know dark and brown so they didn't include maybe maybe if we get an updated show logo they'll they'll you know include some gray strands of hair in there for me so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah dugout mugs is a thing and and definitely you know support Chef G's barbecue sauce and you know definitely want to also thank there was a couple of interviews I did this week I want to thank the head coach of USF. Eric Jenkins, that's the track and field head coach and cross country. You can check out that interview right at our Facebook page, or you can check it on YouTube. Just type in Eric Jenkins. It's Eric with a K at the end, Jenkins USF. You'll see the interview. I also did want to thank definitely my good friend, Craig Brown, who is the author of Stop Hiding and Start Healing. It is this month of May is Mental Health Month. You will get a chance to see that video sometime next week. So I did want to give you guys a heads up and thank both Craig Brown and Eric Jenkins for being part of the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show. You'll see the, you know, Craig Brown's interview sometime next week, just doing a couple little edits. Want to make sure it looks great for you guys. But thank you to both gentlemen. And we're going to continue to work hard to get more interviews for you guys here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show. We're going to continue to work hard to do that. Absolutely. So for uh, for Allen and for Lou, this is Aaron signing off here tonight. Everyone have a great Mother's Day weekend. Thank you for listening to the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.